Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Jim Melvin, and each week I turn to Scripture for guidance and advice for living a faithful and loving life. I believe that each of us has a role to play in God's saving history. For that lesson today, I want to turn to Paul's letter to the Romans. One of the main reasons that Paul wrote letters to the churches he had founded was to give them practical advice on how to live in a community in a way that would please God. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Here ends the reading. Did you catch that first line? Owe no one anything. Or you could rephrase it, owe nothing to anyone. I remember a few years ago receiving a letter in the mail from our bank with the final amount that we had to send in to pay off our mortgage. For 30 years, month in and month out, we'd been making seemingly endless payments. But finally, the day arrived. Other than a few minor credit card debts, my wife and I could finally say, we owe no one anything. Hallelujah, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. But wait a minute. At that time, I wasn't thinking of the one debt hanging over my head that Paul reminds me that I would never, ever fully repay. The debt of love. Because it's a debt of infinite love. I owe God a great debt for everything that I have. I owe God for the life he created in me. And all that God asks in return is my love. My love for him and my love for others. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, isn't that an interesting way to think about love? Love isn't an emotion. Love isn't a choice. Love is a debt. We owe our God and our neighbor our love. The other interesting thing about love that both Paul and Jesus point out is that love is related to God's law. If we love God, we will follow God's laws. And if we follow God's laws, we are loving God. If we love our neighbor, or let's just say others, we will follow God's law about how to treat them. And if we follow God's law about how we treat others, we are loving them. Love fulfills the law of God. 
God's laws, then, are a master plan of how to love and live. So let's look at those laws. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws or commandments. This includes laws about civil and criminal justice, as well as religious and moral laws. They're divided into 248 positive and 365 negative commandments. Now, that's a little bit for me to handle in the next few minutes, so I'm going to go with a short list that most of us are familiar with. The Ten Commandments. If we can master those, we're doing pretty well. Now, the Ten Commandments can be divided into two groups. The first three are, you shall have no other gods, don't take the name of God in, the vain, in vain, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Notice that these three commandments all have to deal with our relationship to God. If we love God, we will keep these commandments. And conversely, if we keep these commandments, we are loving God. The other seven commandments have to do with our relationship with other people. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's house. And don't covet your neighbor's wife or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So let's take an inventory, starting with the first three. How are you doing with the commandments about your relationship with God? As the first commandment, most of us don't have any statues or idols on our mantles that we worship. We need a broader understanding of what it means to have no other gods. It means prioritizing and putting our trust in things other than God. Seen this way, this commandment becomes a bit more relevant. The greatest competition that God has in our lives is ourselves or our sense of self-reliance. It's not surprising because we're taught this from the time we're little children. In 1816, one of America's great foundational thinkers, Ralph Waldo Emerson, wrote an essay titled Self-Reliance. Emerson believed that individualism, personal responsibility, and nonconformity were essential to living in a thriving society. We had to make it on our own. But to get there, Emerson knew that each individual had to work on themselves to achieve this level of individualism. Self-reliance is a virtue, but only if we have an underlying sense of our reliance on God first. In other words, the first commandment talks about God-reliance, not self-reliance. The second commandment is, don't take the Lord's name in vain. The first thing that comes to mind in this commandment is swearing or using obscene language. Avoiding bad language is a virtue, but this commandment carries a deeper meaning. We're not to use God's name for improper purposes. Now, I often hear people invoking God's name 
or God's authority or their faith to promote their own personal or political agendas. I've even heard people use God's name to justify hurtful things such as racism and anti-Semitism. When we attribute our actions to God, we need to be sure that we are accurately representing God's will. When we quote scripture, the word of God, we take care to honestly represent God's true intent. On the positive side of this commandment, we can use God's name to bless and encourage others. Now, the last of the three God commandments is to remember the Sabbath day. In the book of Exodus, where the account of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses is recorded, this commandment receives the most ink. God said to Moses, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or your alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Here ends the reading. The ancient Israelites established lab elaborate customs and rituals around the Sabbath observance. Those have come to be reflected in Christian modern worship practices and Sunday customs. The spirit of this commandment can be kept in many ways in our modern context. The important thing is that we take time to regularly acknowledge our relationship with God. And that can include time for prayer, worship, scripture reading, and simply taking time off from our busy lives to get right with God again. Now we move on from the God commandments to the people commandments. The first of these is honor your father and your mother. Honoring our fathers and mothers so that they may enjoy a long and happy life is a laudable goal. Our fathers and mothers gave us life. For those of us blessed with loving parents, they've nurtured us and have given us our start in life. Like with God, our Creator, we owe them everything. I suppose that all of us, even the most obedient children, have given our parents a few gray hairs. If we're lucky to have our parents around long enough, we may get a chance to care for our parents like they once care for us. During a recent illness that I experienced, my daughter came home and helped my wife with my physical care until I recovered. That's what I call honoring your parents. Martin Luther in his small catechism extends honoring father and mother to respect for other sources of authority in our lives. When we follow our secular laws and support the justice system and law enforcement, we are following this commandment. Those who seek to tear down the legitimate institutions of civil society are breaking this commandment. 
when we live within the laws of society, we are loving God and others at the same time. The next commandment is a biggie. Do not murder. Life is the most sacred and precious gift of God. The wanton taking of a human life is a heinous sin. And that's why we have harsh laws to deal with murderers. As a pastor, I've ministered to families who have lost one of their loved ones to murder. I can attest that murder brings human suffering to those left behind that death by natural causes does not. When Cain murdered his brother Abel out of jealousy, the Lord confronts Abel and says, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out for me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. I hope that you never have and never will commit a murder. But if we extend this commandment, we should never inflict harm of any kind on other people. This would include not only physical injury, but emotional harm or intimidation. Unfortunately, murder is an all-too-common occurrence in our society. School shootings are the most tragic examples of murder. Not only have many innocent young lives been lost, our children live in fear for their lives when they go to school. They are the continuing victims of emotional violence. To follow God's commandment against murder, we should do everything that we can to protect others and help them feel safe, especially our children. It is our positive duty to counter the violence that we see around us by constantly seeking solutions to the murderous rage that exists around us. That is a way of showing our love for others and God. The sixth commandment is you shall not commit adultery. The technical and limited definition of adultery is violating one's marriage vows. Now this itself is an all too common occurrence which leads to untold suffering and pain usually ending in divorce. But we can extend the prohibition against adultery to all kinds of sexual misconduct. This includes rape and sexual assault incest, sex trafficking, promiscuity, and the degradations of the porn industry. No sex offenses are victimless. Now, sexual mores are changing. Society and religious institutions are struggling to make sense of cultural trends in ways that are too complex for us to deal with here. Suffice it to say, that God calls us to respect our own bodies and the bodies of others with whom we are in relationship. That continuing conversation must take place with love and compassion as we discern the will of God among us. Seventh commandment, don't steal. 
That's one that's taught to us as soon as we uh, start being around other children. We're taught that some things belong to us, some things belong to others. We can't take our friends' toys without their permission. In our society, we're big on personal property. We can view this commandment as prohibiting not only the taking of others' property, but all unjust and fraudulent dealings in the marketplace, workplace, and any other place where transactions are conducted. We could also consider negligence and dereliction of duty as violations of this commandment, if such negligence causes one's employer to suffer loss. Likewise, laziness and unfaithfulness in one's paid employment are viewed as a fraud that's worse than any of the petty thefts that can be printed with locks and bolts. When we love God, when we love our neighbor, we do not take what is not ours. The Eighth Commandment, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, is one that's of practical use every day. By bearing false witness, we mean saying untrue or damaging things about others. Unfortunately, we have a natural human tendency to denigrate other people that we don't like. You know, we can get a guilty pleasure out of sharing that juicy piece of gossip. Usually these are minor things, but sometimes our gossip can do real damage to others. In these cases, we have libel laws that can hold us responsible for the damage that we do when we defame someone. There's a simple old saying that, keep, that can keep us from violating this commandment. If you don't have something good to say about someone, don't say anything at all. Beyond that, we can go out of our way to defend others and refuse to enter into gossip no matter how harmless it seems. Instead of looking for and talking about the flaws of others, the loving thing to do is to always put the most positive construction on the actions of others and defend them to others. The last two commandments I'm going to lump together. They have to do with coveting our neighbor's stuff and their relationships. We may look at a friend's house enviously, eyeing things that they have that we don't. We may envy the loving family relationships that they enjoy, that we feel we lack. Coveting is a matter of the heart. Well, if coveting is an internal matter, what does it hurt? When we covet what others have, it will eventually lead to resentment which will color and harm our relationships with those we envy. Coveting can lead to other types of sins. In the extreme, it can lead to bearing false witness, stealing, and even murder. In most cases, though, coveting will lead to our own unhappiness. When we feel those covetous feelings creeping in, it's a good time to do a personal inventory to discover the real source of our discontent with our own lives so that we can deal with them. Well, that was a quick trip through the Ten Commandments. Reviewing them once in a while can remind us of God's law of love so that in our everyday lives, 
we can love God with all our hearts and with all our souls and all our minds and love our neighbors as ourselves. Then we can freely and joyously repay the debt of love. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.